This episode is sponsored by TrueLearn, an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. TrueLearn is the only company I trusted for Comlex Level 1 prep last year and Level 2 prep this year. Each TrueLearn practice question has detailed answer explanations and concise bottom lines for customizable studying. TrueLearn also has amazing USMLE smart banks, as well as subscriptions for shelf or comat exams. Go to TrueLearn.com and use one of my special discount codes I have for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. TrueLearn is the first line solution for excelling on exams. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and this is First Line. Here to bring listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness. Through an osteopathic lens, First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, hot topics in healthcare, the journey to becoming a physician, mental health, relationships, and even philosophy, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of First Line. This week is part five of my series on clinical rotations. And this episode, I will be focusing on studying during clinical rotations. So for most medical students, this is the third year of medical school. After having the first two years as preclinical education, So I'll be talking about third year when it comes to taking COMAT or shelf exams that students take roughly every month or roughly with each rotation. And I'll also be touching on how to prepare for step two or level two throughout the year because how you study in third year is very different than how you've studied up until this point. And I highly recommend that you go and listen to my other episodes that talk about clinical rotations. So the first one that I did mentions a lot of the tangibles about clinical rotations, like what to bring with you, and also how to ask for and receive feedback professionally. And then the next episode I had talks about more about what to expect in clinical rotations, especially when interacting with your preceptor and when approaching patients. And that episode also covers how to be an active listener and how to show that you're interested and how to make sure that you're learning and optimizing your time during clinical rotations. And then my next one covers more about my daily routine during clinical rotations and a lot of specifics on how to take a really good patient history. And that's something that it really helps to know how to do and know how to do really well starting out with clinical rotations because from there, if you get that down, then you can focus on your assessment and plan, which is really the learning curve for third year. And then my most recent one before this one was about how to take advantage of learning opportunities, especially procedures and in surgical specialties. And then I also discussed uh, some of the basics of pimping and how to approach pimping and really why 
why preceptors use pimping as a learning technique and what kind of strategies to do so that you can appear that you are um, giving your best effort. So highly recommend you give those episodes a listen. They can be listened to in any sort of order. So that's why that they're not really labeled part one through five. So you can listen to any of them at all, but, and they're kind of segmented so they don't really flow together very well. It's just all of my thoughts that I had about clinical rotations and things that I wish I knew before I got started. And there will be another episode after this one. It's probably going to be the last one of the series unless I can think of other things or if people have follow-up questions about certain things. But the plan is that the next episode will be the last one in the series. So that would be part six. And that one I'm going to be going into detail about tips for specific rotations. So I'll talk about psychiatry and tips about uh, starting in psychiatry and then I will do uh, general surgery and OBGYN and I'll kind of go through all of the list in a 20 to 30 minute episode as usual for that. So the first thing that I will say is practice questions are really important. Of course, I recommend you choose TrueLearn Combank if you are an osteopathic medical student and then using TrueLearn's shelf prep and USMLE subscriptions, but there are many other question banks too. So whatever question bank you decide to use, make sure that you do practice questions throughout the year. They're going to help you with comets and shelf exams and they're going to help you prepare for the types of questions that are going to eventually show up on level two or step two. So you might have had experience when you were studying for a level one or step one that you would do practice questions throughout the year and incorporate review questions too. I will say that in third year or whatever year you start your clinical rotations, that becomes a lot harder to do because you are spending all day in the clinic or in the hospital and then you come home and you have a limited amount of time to studying so usually you want to usually you want to prioritize studying for whatever your next shelf exam or comat is going to be on because that should really be your priority so it's hard to recommend to uh, sacrifice that time to review what you did from previous rotations, but I have noticed that shelf exams in in comets, which I took comets, so I can really only speak to comets, but I used shelf prep resources, so I know that they're pretty similar, in that there's a lot more overlap between the disciplines than maybe the preclinical curriculum had with, at least at my school, we had body systems as part of our courses so we would have the cardiovascular system then we had GI then we had uh, nephro so everything was very segmented like that but when you go into clinicals there's a lot more overlap because in family medicine you are looking at every single body system it's just in an outpatient setting so internal medicine has more of that inpatient setting but it's still all of the body system so you're going to see a lot of overlap And then surgery is essentially internal medicine, but extrapolated to whether they need surgery or not. And OBGYN and pediatrics have their own 
subset of questions, but a lot of it overlaps because we're looking at all of the body systems now. So I didn't feel like by the time Dedicated came around for level two and step two, I didn't feel like I lost all of this knowledge like I did last year when studying for uh, step one and level one where I didn't see hematology since the beginning of the year. So it's a little bit different in a good way because there's some of that intrinsic review as you go along kind of building up your knowledge, but you still want to have a pretty good dedicated period. Mine this year was about four weeks before taking step two and I think if my dedicated was any longer, I might have burnt out. And then after this, I still have level two to do. But I think four weeks, at least for me, was a good length. And I did slightly longer when I was studying for step one and level one. But I think anything less than four weeks may not be enough time. And you definitely want to not go further than eight weeks. But everyone has their own learning style and studying schedule so it's really up to you but I I think that's just what I found works for me and a lot of other students have similar feelings too but um you definitely don't want to um not have a dedicated portion I don't think that that would be wise especially since step two and level two are going to become the differentiators when it comes to residency and getting interviews at uh places that you places that are um either specialties that are competitive or institutions that a lot of students flock to so you want to put your best foot forward so skimping on dedicated is probably not a good thought um in the past it's since step one and level one were more of the focus, step two and level two had less of a focus, but now there's more of a focus now that it is the first three-digit score and the only three-digit score that you're going to have before applying to residency, for the most part. And I do want to say the inherent review that I did have throughout the year was my Anki. So, um... I I used an Anki deck that was subdivided by what what rotation you're on and what clerkship you're doing. So, um, and there was not a ton of cards. I think the the internal medicine one was um, well over a thousand. I don't know exactly, but I think there was a few that had less than a thousand cards for that rotation. And so I would a lot of times get through them all over a month's period and then I would go back and review some of my previous blocks and that kind of had some more review and Anki is meant to do long term so um, by the time I was hitting dedicated the cards that I saw back in July most of them were matured enough that I maybe saw one or two cards a day from that deck. <laughs> so Anki is always good to be up to date with and just continue using. What I do want to say as far as the comats go, with comats you only have 
a minute and 12 seconds per question, which is very different than complex exams. So for complex level two, it actually comes down to a minute and 22 seconds per question. With with US Emily, you have a minute and 30 seconds. And I'm not really sure how long the shelf exams were, but at least for the comets, that 18 seconds per question that you don't have over a 125 question exam um, really does add up. So I felt like I was much more on a time crunch and a lot of other students noticed that too. So I am used to actually going through a test pretty quickly and being able to review my all of my flagged questions. But with the comats, I actually would run out of time to review a lot of my flagged questions. So that was something that I wasn't used to, but I think on the whole, it probably prepared me better for the USMLE and COMLEX that I'm taking this summer um, because now I'm used to answering questions in a minute 12. So minute 30 seems like a ton of time and I think there might be some difference between how long the question stems are so that might factor into it too but I did notice that now that I'm doing a minute 30 timed I can get through it even faster than I did before so I think that really does factor into it it's not just the length of the question stems it actually was kind of a harder exam to do but if you are starting your third year or you're starting clinical rotations, whether that's your second year or third year or whatever, um, there is a different focus on the questions that you do get. And this is important to know as you're studying. There's not a ton of new information. There is some new information as far as like treatments go and more decision-making type type things that you do have to learn but at least at my school our preclinical curriculum did go over a lot of that so we kind of already knew that even if it wasn't really tested on step one level one but something just to focus on when you're going through your studies is to look look at anything that talks about how to diagnose so what what screening you want to do what tests you want to do, what you would want to order to confirm a diagnosis, because that's going to be asked a lot. And you'll still get questions that are going to ask you what the diagnosis is. So you'll have a patient presentation and you say, and it will say, what is the likely diagnosis? That's really still consistent with level one, step one. But now you're going to get more, um, how are you going to treat questions? So what is, what is the first line treatment or what is the initial treatment you're going to give or what is the best treatment you're going to give? And then still some questions are just going to ask you what is the best next step? So that might be a combination of deciding, well, do I still have to get a test to confirm the diagnosis? So maybe it's, um, I need to get a CT. It could be I have the information to know the diagnosis already, so I'm just going to go and treat. So you're going to get questions that some of the choices are like get a CT, get an MRI, and some of the choices are do an exploratory laparotomy and give this person plasmapheresis, things like that. So you're going to get a combination. So you kind of do have to know kind of that clinical decision making of of if you were in a position and you had this patient, well, what are you going to do? No one's going to tell you, oh, you have enough to 
treat this patient or no one's going to say, well, you don't have the confirmed diagnosis. So it really is um, thinking through that and being able to decide based off of that. So third year really is a focus on that assessment and plan portion. I think um, a lot of the first two years, so preclinical curriculum, was getting history and physical down and figuring out pathophysiology and things. But now it's really dealing with real patients. What are you doing with them? And so there's not going to be as much pathophysiology questions. Some of them still will factor that into it. Um, Like it might say, what is the mechanism of action of the medication that you would use to treat this patient? It won't say I'm this patient was given thiazide, what is the mechanism of action? It will it will have a patient who should be put on a thiazide and it will ask you what is the mechanism of action of the medication that this patient should be put on. Here are some test-taking tips, either before the exam or during the exam. So my first thing to say is that No score on an exam should determine your self-worth or how good of a student you are or how good of a doctor you're going to be. A lot of times test scores are very much emphasized as the pathway to your career. It's used as a measure and not as a decision maker. And that's important to take into note. Just know that There are going to be a lot of tests. This is likely not going to be your last test. You're going to have to take specialty board exams after you graduate to get your licensure. So the test taking doesn't stop. No one test is determining your fate. So as far as in the actual exam or just doing practice questions, I recommend never to take like more than five minutes on a question. Even if it's a super hard question, do not take more than double of your allotted time per question to look at a question because that extra time that you're putting towards it is unlikely to lead to a better answer. A lot of A lot of, at least I can speak to my experience, when I read a question and think about it for maybe 30 seconds, I either know it or I don't. A lot of times if I do take an extra minute on it to kind of think, I can at least narrow down between a few or rule some out, but it's unlikely that I have this aha moment where I know the answer just because I spent more time on it and I know that it's always a trade-off where if you spend too much time on a question, then you're not going to have as much time with other questions that maybe you would need to use that other, that extra minute on another question that you can actually narrow down the answers and that extra time is actually beneficial on another question. So it takes a lot of self-awareness to 
when you read a question, then decide, okay, I, I don't know this. Even if I sat here for 20 minutes on this one question, I still wouldn't know it. And to just pick one and move on. Maybe mark it and return back to it if you really do have extra time at the end. Or maybe you had a question later on that kind of reminded you of this fact that helps you on the question that you marked, then if that happens, that's great. I mean, it's happened to me before and I'm so grateful um, that sometimes it just triggers something in your memory and that's why it's always good to mark questions, but just move on because that could either happen or it might not happen. And if you feel overwhelmed during an exam, it's always good to just take a second, do some deep breaths and just ground yourself. Just tell yourself that you're going to be okay. You are going to get through this. You're going to feel so much better after the exam when you can say that you finished it. And I I tend to have to do that to myself sometimes that I get a little bit overwhelmed during the exam and I kind of kind of disassociate from it. It doesn't feel real and I kind of just have to think about where I am, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and just keep going. As far as the night before the exam, always make sure that you get enough sleep. I've never been successful staying up late studying for an exam and not getting enough sleep. That has never been beneficial. What I can tell you is beneficial is when I have a full night's sleep and I wake up two hours before the exam so I can really just take the time, drink my coffee, eat my breakfast, and then even do some light studying, some review, some just looking over things, not really too much brain power, but just re-familiarizing myself with information and kind of just word recognition, just looking through certain things like it could be practice questions I did the day before and it doesn't really take too much out of me to look at it again because I just did it, but it it is more solidifying those facts or those connections between maybe a patient presentation and what the diagnosis is and maybe the treatment, kind of just associating them with each other again instead of trying to teach myself new concepts. It's really just looking at things, looking at associations, and very, very minimal brain power, but it makes me feel better that I was able to use my morning productively, and then I know for a fact, because this is always my fear for some reason, that I'm going to get into the exam, and I'm just going to forget everything, so that's how I would really feel if I didn't look at anything that morning. I would feel like, oh, what if I forgot it all overnight? So it kind of gives me some comfort to just look over at least a few things just one last time. Especially something that is a little bit familiar. It gives me some confidence that, okay, yes, I do remember this and I do understand this. And if this was a question, I would certainly get it right. Kind of boosts my confidence there. And yes, I do recommend waking up pretty early, just taking your time. I think if you just jump right into the test, you might 
be still waking up a little bit, brain might be a little bit foggy, so that really doesn't serve you too well. And then of course caffeine is something that I can never go without really on an exam day, let alone any day. But I know a lot of people are different based off of that. So just know yourself. I wouldn't go ahead and start drinking caffeine on the mornings of your exams if you don't usually drink caffeine. Just like I wouldn't try something new for breakfast in case it doesn't sit well with you. I would kind of go with your usual routine and that kind of requires you to establish a usual routine and know what's right for you. Know your body and know when you function best under what circumstances. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm on Instagram at First Line Podcast. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstlinepodcast. You can reach out for any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again.